This segment is brought to you by the Urban Sharpshooters Gun Club, presented by Illinois Civilian Defense. Illinois Civilian Defense, giving you the skills to carry with confidence. Hello, hello. Hey, what's going on, man? I'm good. Who I got on the phone? It's Troy Ken. Troy, how you doing, bro? All right, brother. Good, good. I'm waiting for uh, Shanti and Byron to to click on in. So hopefully, right. the, hopefully the process wasn't too difficult. Uh, it took a little while to download. Right, right. All right. <clears throat> All right yep, I'm here ready to go. So I'll explain those two guys again. Oh, we're ready to do this thing. Absolutely. I'm just <clears throat> looking over some notes right now, checking out uh, the violent gun crimes in New York State. And uh, trying to compare that with the amount of people who can't get firearms licenses there. Mm -hmm. it's, it doesn't seem like it's preventing too much. I mean, don't get me wrong. In comparison to Chicago, y'all on the, on the completely other side of the spectrum. But, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it shouldn't be as difficult as it seems to be uh, to obtain a firearm in New York, especially if you've never had a criminal record. Oh, it make it rough, man. You ain't yeah, gonna... I've been looking over everything, man, just trying to get a get an understanding of what what they got to go through. And uh, you're you're absolutely right. There's some some issues with uh, with just basic transparency while you're trying to uh, put in your application. Yep. I mean, a traffic ticket 20 years ago can prevent you from getting a to get it. <laughs> yeah, you know? that's that's crazy. That yeah, is it's, it's bad. It's I, I didn't realize it was as I knew it was bad, but it's bad. I had no idea. I just knew it was tough to get one, and now I'm starting to understand why. Yep. It's it's it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's it's. Wow, you know, it's all the, all that money and time, and you can still be turned around and say no. Yeah. You don't get your money back. You know, there's no refunds, none of that stuff. Exactly. To appeal it, it costs more money and more time. Well, I mean, on that end, it's it's just it's a racket, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, it's crazy how that is. So, how long were you out in New York? I was just there for the day. Okay. Yeah. And where are you located? I'm in Maryland. Okay, you're not too far. You're up there with James and Coy and brothers. Yep. Okay. Oh, yeah. Hopefully, they be here soon enough. We get this party started. Yeah, I don't know. Shanti. Asked me if if he had to download it, I said yeah, but you can you know get rid of it afterwards if you don't want it on your phone. But uh, I, I chose this this platform just because it's a it's the easiest way to connect with people across the country um, to do these these phone calls and have these discussions. You know, uh, yeah, and I wanted I wanted kind of that raw feel 
you know, uh, just a, a, a conversation, just a phone conversation, you know, so there's no fancy editing or anything that goes into what I do. It's just a conversation between whoever I'm interviewing, um, mm-hmm. topics, you know, your thoughts, my thoughts. We just kind of go back and forth and, you know, try to come up with some sort of solution or, or direction after the conversation is over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was very. It was very. It was a good time. <clears throat> it was a good time. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I watched the whole forum. Um, I, I thought the panel was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I kind of wish that you guys would have got a little more into um, what the plan is to 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 combat the issues that are that are standing in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. It's just, it was just pressed on time. You know yeah, what I mean? I got you. Because let Shanti and Debbie tell you more about one town, but they, the people really didn't, as far as at the Schomburg Center, did almost we didn't want us to do it at first. They wanted, they damn near canceled it. We had two panelists back out, you know, two okay. critical panelists back out that would have. That were all like on the other side of it, and we would just find out why. You know, they were to be the ones to go into detail to why it is the way it is, and both of them backed out with with no reason. And no reason, really. So were yeah. those the were those the people from the state? Yeah, one was the, one was a senator, and one was um, the licensing. You know, one of the people yeah. in the licensing division. I remember him saying that opening up. Yeah. You know? And both of them backed out. The last minute they backed out. Interesting. Well, one, one actually, the license of people was like, ain't nobody coming. As far as anybody for like, no one will represent from the New York police licensing. Well, I mean, that alone should tell you something shady. Oh, very much so. You know, if, if you're if you're proud and stand on what you're trying to do, you should have no problem representing that for the people. Yep. They they represent for the people, all right, but the people don't look like you and me. <laughs> and well, I, I, would, I would assume I would assume that these laws affect everybody, unless they, unless, unless you're well connected or got a lot of money. There's only two people that it don't affect, yeah. But you know, pockets, pockets, people's pockets got laced. Oh, uh, you saw it, man. It's like, like that lawyer was talking about. Robert was talking about. It. He was talking about people that were in, like, are in prison. Some people were on prisons, you know, because of the, the shadiness that was going on. So it was already a corrupt system to begin right. with. Right. So. All right. There's Ashanti. Hey, what's going on, man? Brother. What's going on, brother? Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yep. Can you hear me? There's Here we go. Right. Yeah. Byron, you there? Yep, I'm here. All right, so that's everybody. We got Byron, Ashanti, and Troy. Welcome to the Urban Sharpshooters podcast, gentlemen. Thank you for doing this for me. Yep. Anytime, anytime. All right. So, Byron, let's start with you. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let people know what's going on. I'm Byron Franklin, the owner and founder of Train to Fight LLC. Uh, we're a law enforcement and civilian firearms and self-defense training company. 
I can't. I can't. All right. Ashanti, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, my name is Bartina Shante, um, owner, operator of Fitness Fuel and Fire. And Troy, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, Troy Can, urban sharpshooter member, gun collector, gun enthusiast. Uh, that's about it. All right. So uh, in, this, in this segment, we're going to cover uh, the second annual Firearm Safety Forum that was hosted by Fitness Fuel and Fire on uh, Saturday, May 11th. Um, and this was at the Schomburg Center in New York City. Um, basically, uh, the discussion was with advocates and attorneys, elected officials, and so on and so forth, uh, related to the uh, communities of color regarding firearm issues and getting a license. So I watched the forum, and I'm very proud of you guys for bringing this uh, issue to the forefront. So I just want to ask a few questions regarding it, and I'll let you guys just kind of run with it your thoughts and takeaways from the forum. One thing that I took away from uh, something that was said was regarding uh, New York's so-called definition of loaded. Um, so if you have a loaded gun in New York, it could be seen as uh, simply as ammunition being in the vicinity of a firearm. So does anybody have any background on that and where that, that came from? It, it just stems out of what they talked about, which is the New York City, the New York Safe Act. And it, what it does is just lends itself to another degree of the madness that permeates the New York City fire. Um, um, hey, Ashanti, are you linked into a uh, situation right now? And it's just another Ashanti, way. Ashanti, are you linked into a Wi-Fi connection? Hello. Wi-Fi right now. I'm we got some lag on your audio. Oh, man. I don't, I don't, um, I'm not a techie. <laughs> I don't know how to fix that. All right, try it again. Oh, oh just lost him. Yeah, we lost him. Maybe you chime back in. I'll send him another link. I know, I know that safe act is insane, though, that their version of loaded is crazy. Yeah, you know, and that's what I was looking at. Um, what was mentioned in the forum was that um, if ammunition is in the vicinity of the of the firearm, meaning that if you, like they said, if you have a firearm, let's say in the glove compartment, and ammunition for that exact firearm in the trunk, it's considered loaded. Yeah, you got to, like, under New York, you better not have no bullets in your car. That's crazy. And so when I look to see what the general rule was for what loaded means. Um, it's 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 a, a firearm that's either prime, charged, armed, filled, containing ammunition, ready to fire or ready to use. And that's not the state. That's not a, that is not the state of that firearm. If that's the case, not at all. But it's crazy because the <laughs> the federal law. <laughs> but you gotta understand dealing with New York City, man. And they make this thing up as they go. And um, and then I encourage all of the brothers after this interview, you just go on YouTube and I want you to pull up um, 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 
um, Police Commissioner O'Neill and um, on his uh, view of reciprocity. You pull it up, it's an interview and he will make it clear as to his position and the administration. And I believe New York City's police force, I think is the seventh largest in the world. And that's all they're concerned about. That's crazy. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, so this, this whole loaded issue, I think that from a legal standpoint that we could do better. I mean, because oh, that's, sure. that's, that's definitely, um, I mean, I just think about when I go to the range, right? If I'm going to the range in New York City, technically, I'm loaded all the time. Unless they want me to buy my ammunition at the range. Range in New York. <laughs> do they even have and That's guns? what they want you to do, but more than... Yeah, they, they have them, brother, but you're you going to... Um, it's it's bad, man. Um, you you could go with someone with the, it's it's it's, it's just ridiculous, bro. I mean, you can only shoot twenty twos, and then if you're not coming to the range with a permit, ninety nine percent of the times they don't allow you to shoot. Interesting. So why why even have a business? You you, you well, if you have have a permit in New York, which you can get. And if you have your premise permit, you can go to the ranges and you can, you can, you are permitted to shoot. But if you, they only issue you a premise permit, which means you can go to the range and back home. Mm. That is it. If you have in New York City, what they give you is a premise permit that allows you to own up to five firearms in your home, right? If you are caught with any one of the five firearms that they list on your gun permit, okay? If you are caught with that in the street, carrying concealed, you will go to jail for not having a gun permit and carrying an illegal firearm. And if you have fire, if you have um, hollow points in it, I think they add, I think, three to five years for everyone you have. I think I have to do more research on that one. Yeah, I can say I've I've never had the level carry arms that they say you, you. Well, well, um, this is the New York reality. So the whole idea of bringing the brothers on board is to share each state and how liberal the firearms laws are in each state. So each brother brought their own reality to show how insane the New York City firearms laws are. I'm not sure why all of these states are banning hollow tip rounds because what I've seen is you're you're you have a lot of people that are out here carrying range ammunition, which if they actually do use it for self defense, you could have over penetration. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. That that just shows that the people that are making the laws have no idea about ammunition or firearms. Right. No, I agree. One hundred percent. I 
it, it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. So um, we have an uphill battle here. So we're already working on the next event, and we're working on tying this whole message on to now to gun shows that are going to be in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, because we have to continue to bring this message forward. See this thing for me. I'm still doing my training. But for some reason, I feel I'm going to be even pulled in on a political level with this thing, trying to just tell the, our people in the community that they have a right to carry firearms. I, I, I just can't believe the direction. Well, it, it, it seems as if there's you, you have uh, no a lot of arbitrary laws that have nothing to do with violent crime um, or can, you know being used. And so it's more to... Uh, prevent you from owning a firearm than prevent a firearm being used on you. That makes pretty much. Yep. All right. So with with that being said, you know, some, something else that I... Man, right. look here. No. Well, I'm... Go ahead, I, I, I'm sorry, but listen. You there? Hello? Uh, we might have lost him again. Yeah, I think you might have lost him. He might. Oh, no, no. Or, or so his, I still see his name in here. It might be um, he might be, signal. He might, be, he might be driving or something. I'm not sure. So are either one of you former law enforcement? I know both of you guys are in the Army, correct? Yes. Well, I was in the military, yeah. Okay. I wasn't. I wasn't in the military. Okay. I did private law enforcement. When I thought about switching over to the public sector, it was just at that point I got I was so deep in the training where I seen just the the lack of training for public law enforcement, and that just pushed me to just continue my journey of doing training and things like that, and okay. coming across a lot of good officers that believe in training. And then, you know, having the other officers to think they know it all and their training suffices when, you know, you you shoot one time a year. And one of the problems is that it's probably one of those things that I'm pretty sure it's a lot of cops that don't pass the qualification, but they kind of get pushed through. Of course. Which, you know, that falls on vicarious liability on the department. But the department knows that if it's, they could they could kind of cover it up more so, but it's it's just the same. It's just weird. Just all of the scrutiny of people that go through, that people go through as far as the self defense shooting when you're not law enforcement, as opposed to a shoot you go through when you're law enforcement. Whereas though, a uh, officer will have time to kind of relax and get everything together to give a play by play on what happened. Whereas though, as a person. If you're not a member of one of these groups that provide legal representation like USCCA or something, they want you to go to the station and give your accounts of everything that happened immediately. A hundred percent. And you have to become a professional witness immediately. Exactly. You know, even even as the as the adrenaline is still pumping through your veins and the the PTSD can set in and the whole nine and you have to recount from the moment that you did they're going to ask you questions like what color shirt was he wearing what color pants was he wearing this that and the other all the way up to the point where you pulled the trigger and what you did afterwards exactly and people and what I, regular civilians aren't prepared to do that they're not trained to do that exactly 
And it's, it's weird because, and I mean, even some of the people in the private sector, in the private law enforcement sector that I operate in, I remember we had, I had a guy come out with my team and this one location we used for training people because it was a block away from a block and a half away from the projects. And it was a really hood environment. So I felt as though it was a good training ground for people to see what you're made of. So when we bring people around there now, the people from the projects knew who my original team was because we was around there and we put the work in and, and they knew that we didn't take none of the nonsense. So when we would bring new people in, they would test them. And my, my original team, we would step, we would sit back and see how the person reacted because we wanted to see how you react without us backing you. Because if you're standing your ground without us backing you, you seem pretty solid. Now he did pretty good with that. And just so happens that night I told him, I was like, man, you got to be ready. Anything could happen. Cause we all showed up 15 minutes early for the shift. And he was telling me, man, I go to the range every week. I'm ready. And I said, okay. It's different when you shooting paper and then when people shooting back. That's true. I was like, everything changes then. I was like, so just be mindful. Then literally 15 minutes into the shift, about 9.15, we hear shots go off. Everybody on my team that I was training, like everybody knew what to do. Everybody had a job. So we're all out the holster moving, covering concealment, making sure our area was safe. We had every point covered. Now, I mean, I literally seen the guy get shot. And, you know, I was telling my team, like, I seen the, I seen the person that got shot, but I couldn't get eyes on the shooter. So, you know, we were up there talking about that and doing all of that. And um, in the course of that, you know, after everything settles, we see Philly PD pull up and put the guy that got shot in the back of the car. And once again, I still never seen the shooter. Now, I'm we're still on point because there was a lot of bushes there. So if the shooter was running towards us. We wouldn't have, I wouldn't have seen him until he popped out the bushes. So if he popped out the bushes, I was going to put him right back in the bushes. But once everything settled and we were good, I turned around and this guy is sitting there with his hand on the holster, looking like a deer in the headlights. <clears throat> now his form was perfect. Feet, shoulder length apart and everything. You can tell what he does at the range just from him freezing up. <laughs> and I was just like, man, I was like, you had a good posture and everything. The feet perfectly apart. I was like, you had a good grip on the firearm. Too bad you never pulled it out. And he was like, no, man, just give me a second chance. I was like, I can't. I was like, you know what? But just for coming out, I'm going to pay you two hours. But you got to go home. And he didn't get the whole point. I was, and I told him, I was like, you got to understand, out here, it's a jungle. And we, we're heavy on team. I can't depend on you to watch my back now at all. Mm-hmm. I was like, because you froze. And I was like, I got a kid to make sure it's going to be good. <laughs> I need to go home. That's 100 right there. Absolutely. <laughs> and I was like, if I can't trust you because you're freezing up, no, you're not coming out here with us. I was like, because I refuse to end up going to one of my folks' funerals because I let you stay and things went bad and you shouldn't have been out here. And I told him, I was like, but I, I appreciate you coming out. I gave him two hours of pay, which I took a loss on because the owner definitely wasn't paying me a full night for somebody that wasn't there. Yeah. But just to show him love, you know, I appreciate you coming out. I told him, I was like, maybe this isn't for you. I mean, I don't think he does it no more now. Right, right. But, you know, it was good in that setting that we worked it out before, you know, anybody depended on him and got hurt. Well, you know, it. it- Large gun community out there. 
be honest, there's, there's, there's a couple of different lives you can lead in this. You can own a gun, you can target shoot, you can compete, or you can get out there and be about that life. And it's not a lot of people who are truly about that life mm-hmm. when bullets are coming at them. You understand? Exactly. So, <laughs> so I'm with you there. So let me ask you guys this. When we talk about police and you know how you see a lot of the politicians wanting to uh, administer more gun laws, more gun restrictions, gun bans, how do we as a society argue that point? When we're talking about the police's duty to protect or lack thereof compared to self-defense and the consequences that follow. My bad, can you repeat that for me again? I Absolutely. My niece was my niece was my baby niece. Was <laughs> no no worries, man. So when we talk about the laws and how you see a lot of legislation being passed to ban and restrict people's ability to own firearms. How do we combat that as as a society when we look at the at the fact that police don't have a duty to protect the citizens compared to us using self-defense and suffering the consequences? I, th- I think one of the biggest things that we'll be able to do is we'll have to go to statistics. And I mean, everybody should have the right to protect themselves. That's the whole the whole being of the Second Amendment. And one and the biggest thing is police are reactive. Like you could be the best cop in the world, but you're coming after I've already been a victim. You're, you're not showing up and saying, you know what, somebody's gonna break in this door in about five no. minutes, but I got you. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. I, I yeah, saying we definitely have to we have to come up out numbers, you know, and fight pretty much. You know, everybody felt the paperwork, everybody do it. Even people who don't really want a firearm do it anyway, you know, because you you'll wind up helping yourself in the long run, as we talked about in the forum that a the more people have it, the more people they think have firearms, the less likely they're going to be messed with. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, like when I was talking about PA and Larry was like, well, where are all your mass shootings at in Philadelphia? Like, we don't have <laughs> Right. right. Yeah, I think everybody's armed, you know? Everybody, like well, yeah, I mean, when it's the guessing game, yep. it's, very, it's very hard to, to, to roll that dice. Especially when your life is on the line as a perp, you know what I mean? Exactly. You know? <laughs> if you if you looked at any any criminal, uh, you know, um, method methodology, or if you've looked at shoot any YouTube videos of you know home break-ins or robberies or whatever the case may be, every single time the uh, defender has a firearm, the aggressors run. Run. Exactly. They go to run in, the bullets come back, they're like, oh, we out of here. Exactly. Even if they are armed. Yep. 
I talked. We always talk. When I was at a, a range one day, we talked to this one guy. You know, he he was pretty pretty hardcore guy. He, you know, trained with the Israelis and you know, did some, he did some some high speed shit down range. Um, and and the, the, now that he gave is like, you know, you can have ten guys come through there, twenty guys come through. The moment that first guy's brains is splattered on his buddies, they all run. Everything changes. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I there's a psychology that goes along with that. Yep. Especially when it comes to what people like to use the term gunfighting. Okay. Most people who most people who are alive don't fight with guns. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> okay. But there's a there's a there's a psychology to being in a gun battle of being the first one to fire. Nine times out of ten, the person that's coming at you has never experienced bullets coming at them. Yep. So even if you're not aiming at them, a lot of times the just the sound of bullets around them will change their direction. Yep. You know, it's similar to a home break-in and the homeowner racking that slide of that shotgun. It's a mental thing. Oh, they, yeah, they know what that is. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yes, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, it, it's just unfortunate that we as civilians have to live in this world and politicians get to choose the rules when it comes to how and when and where we can defend ourselves, even though the people that defend them have no duty to defend us. Yep. You know what's crazy? It's the good thing that you said that. But one of the biggest things is being pro-gun, we have to look at who we're putting in the office. Not to say that that's always going to make a change, but it helps. I mean, every yeah. little bit helps, but when we have all of these people that quote-unquote gun grabbers, as people like to put them, that, you know, that everybody say, oh, he's a nice person. He's trying to do this. And, but you have to go and dig to what the politicians are going to do for you. And a lot of people, they just be like, well, I'm a Democrat. Like, why are you a Democrat? Do you look up anything that Democrats are doing? And a lot of people just know. <laughs> well, my dad was a Democrat, so I just vote Demo- Demo- for the Democratic Party. But they don't do research on them. They'll just go. Because I, I remember one of the, a girl I know, um, Shanine Allen. She was talk, speaking about being a Republican. And then a couple people were like, oh, I can't believe she would do that. And I'm like, well, what does the Democratic Party do for you? And what would the Republican Party do for you? They didn't know either or. Mm-hmm. You're going to be mad for somebody for picking a party. Have something to back up why you're angry. <laughs> Don't just be angry because, oh, you're, you're voting for a Republican. That's like when a country was saying, oh, well, we killed I, a lot of the comedians made jokes about, like Cat Williams said, we killed 20 insurgents. Well, what the fuck is an insurgent, right? <laughs> exactly. Like, who is that? But that could have been, yeah, right. been a family that they ran in and killed the whole family and just labeled Absolutely. them that. Absolutely. But if we don't know no better, it's just people just, well, I don't know any insurgents, so I guess they're bad. Right. We don't know any better. <laughs> That's just like when people right. say, oh my God, all of these assault rifles are being sold. No. But AR-15 is not an assault rifle. Right, but you know, that that's that's a great point because 
no politician has been able to define across the board what an assault rifle is. Yeah, it it was a video, and it's the media is so crazy. I I I put the video up on my company's Instagram page, and it was just all of these media people just saying like stuff that makes no sense. Like this one lady was like, "They they should ban high capacity rapid fire magazines." What in the world is a high capacity rapid fire magazine? Random fire. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Exactly. I, I've never seen that, but maybe I want one. I don't know. It's El cool. Sounds <laughs> sounds real cool, but yeah, I, I, I don't know if I want anything in my hands that randomly fires without my control. But you know, yeah. I think that's. I think that. I think that that's honestly where our entire battle as gun owners, gun enthusiasts, gun instructors starts with the education mm-hmm. with anything really is education and so we have a lot of figureheads out there now who are truly trying to educate the masses on you know firearms firearm safety um you know the laws and so on and so forth but the movement's got to grow and it's got to reach you know political standings um unfortunately the entities that are set in place that are supposed to be fighting for these particular issues uh, don't represent us. Exactly. You know, and, and that's that's unfortunate within itself. Um, so let me ask you this: the the NRA being the nation standard, is it time for we as black men and women to step away from that and form our own? I feel as though. I feel as though it would be necessarily appreciated and needed, but the thing is, unfortunately, we lack the unity to build something as big as the machine of the NRA. I think it would definitely be possible, but I think it's one of those things that we had to go double hard in our communities because that's one of the only communities where we don't band together and support each other. If a black a black man opens up a store in the hood, he's more likely to get robbed than a Chinese store. Mm-hmm. So we definitely need to to build up that unity in the community again. But I feel as though we're forced to be reckoned with when we stick together. I agree. Uh, absolutely. I, I I think we definitely should try something. It's, it's going to be a lot of. It's going to be a, definitely a battle. It's going to be a journey. Um, because other than this, I, I used to be an NRA member years ago, and I just let my thing last because I didn't really see what it was doing for me. Although it is a, it is a you know big machine and it's been around for a while, I just didn't really see. For me, it didn't really have no benefit, right? And then, of course, if you factor in all the issues that we had with the whole banning of the bump stocks and then a few shootings where cops uh, shot some of us. And then even with the whole, the, the one, the, the largest one of recent was the Palandro Castile um, incident in Minnesota, right? Where the NRA said nothing. You know, they, they was just like, you know, and this, you know, this, if there was any time that they said, they said the NRA, you know, was for civil rights and all that stuff. If there was any time for them to prove that, that was the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, for, for the size of that organization, they could have moved the earth for that situation. That, that would have been the perfect 
and if they were looking for like if they really wanted to try even if they were just trying to market or cater towards the black the, the black market um you know to get that market to get that money that would have been per, even for whatever reason whether it was to really prove that they were a real genuine civil rights organization or just to try to cater to or pander to the black you know, growing black, growing market of the black women, especially black men, that would have been the perfect, like I said, the perfect time to be like, no way, we're, we're going to defend this, we're going to defend this, we're going to get that cop locked up, we're going to get his family paid, and we're going to see justice all around, and we're going to show the world that NRA is who we say we are, you know, but they did nothing, they, it all, it fell on crickets, and I think they, they fell on, they, like this uh, chief warrant officer used to say, man, they stepped on their dicks on that one. <laughs> yeah. you know, where they, they had a they had a perfect opportunity to prove everybody wrong. I, I guarantee you, and to be truth be told, had they done it, had they stepped up, a lot of black people would have been like, "Hell yeah, that would probably have been all they needed to jump on." The membership would have went through the roof. The membership would have went through the roof. Like, oh, they looked out for you know a, a legal, licensed person who actually complied, who actually told them he was that he had a firearm, that he had a permit. And was doing what he was told, and still got shot. And they went to battle for him. And then on top of that, one, oh, it that'd have been through the roof. People were like, yo, get your memberships now. There would have been very few people that would have been apprehensive. So, like, let's do it. So, what is it that we have to do to get to that point? For instance, I mean, we're we're all members of the Urban Sharpshooters. What would we have to do to head in that direction to be that voice? For us, when we see those those injustices happen, the biggest thing we gotta do is we gotta pull our resources. That's like, we gotta pull our resources, and that's the hardest part, especially in the black community, because we 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 know what we need to do. We talk a great game, you know. We 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 have ideas, but when it's time to put them into action, you know, no one's ready to do that. Like, give you just an example, and this and not be a real example, but just just a kind of a scenario. I. I think getting everybody together would be possible. It's just, you want to go home? I think it's just um, one of the biggest things of we getting people together, like the urban sharpshooters. But see, I think not even just that, because I think we need to be in all of the, all of the groups that are getting people together, like urban sharpshooters, black gun owners of America and make, and it's cool if everybody wants to have their little different chapters, that's fine. But it needs to be collectively, maybe let's say a where it's like everybody had their divisions like urban sharpshooters, black gun owners of America, um, all of the, all of those black gun groups and everything. But have like maybe a bigger, a bigger machine that we all fall under. So when things like this happen. Then you have all of the people that are behind it find second find black two A lawyers in different areas. Not necessarily even black, but just lawyers that'll fight for what's wrong. Absolutely. And then you have a community of instructors in the community that can or even law enforcement, whatever the case may be, of instructors that can break down shootings, that can they can they can be that voice to say, okay, well, this person was shot. What did he do wrong? Now, how how much can you fear for your safety? But once again, that's like, even as a law enforcement instructor, when I'm teaching people to do 
armed security, sometimes armed security, depending on what they're doing. But a lot of the guys that are on armored trucks and people that I train for my armored truck guys, my trigger word may be gun because in their line of work, somebody's going to say, yo, gun, gun. So you have to be ready mm-hmm. in the law enforcement community. If I say knife, gun, weapon, all that they're supposed to do is if you draw your gun, you're supposed to draw. If your finger touches the trigger, you owe me 40 push-ups, period. But you're supposed to draw and issue challenge commands. Police, don't move. Police, put your hands up. You're not supposed to do anything but draw in a ready position and respond. Because anytime, what happens, you can't give police trigger words to be like, all of a sudden, I got a gun on me. Well, he's been trained that every time he hears gun, to draw and shoot. <laughs> so for me, even with my law enforcement, when I went through the class to become a law enforcement instructor, they would say gun, knife, they would say all of the same stuff, but the only go command was blowing the whistle. So you don't shoot until you hear a whistle, but it was funny because they caught one dude and they shoot him off because it was like, gun, gun, gun. First thing he did was draw and shoot. And the problem with that was as soon as he draw and shoot, Everybody else. Other guys did it. Yeah. Yeah. So why they're cussing them out? Then the other instructor blows the whistle. So I loved it because it was it was so much going. It was so such a chaotic situation, but it forced you to literally be on point and know your environment and what's going on. Because I'm hearing people getting yelled at. I'm on my right. I look over to my left. I see other cops looking at me like, wait. Wait, what's going on? Then you hear the whistle, and you only shoot for however many times you hear the whistle. So in the midst of all of the chaos, you still have to pay attention. And after you do this, they count your, they count your target to see how many shots are on it mm-hmm. based off of how many times he blew the whistle. Mm-hmm. Out of this line of probably like 15 to 20 cops, and well, it was like 15. No, was it 15? It was about 19 of us. Out of this line of 19, for everybody that flawlessly only had shots when the whistle was blown, it was maybe five of us, including me. Oh, wow. That's... So you can see, and that showed me the biggest lapse of training. Because <laughs> some of these people that I was in a class with, they've been cops for like a five veteran, years. Right, right, right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So by this time, and I'm thinking, I've been in some hectic situations in the private sector of dealing with People to pull knives out. I mean, a girl accidentally stabbed me. I had my vest on. I didn't even know I got stabbed. Because <laughs> I felt like she punched me. But she was trying to punch the owner of the establishment. And then my buddy was just like, yo, yo, that bitch stabbed you. I said, what you mean? And he grabbed my shirt and pulled it down. And I could see like a little poke mark on my shirt. And I was like, oh, no, they got to go. So we pushed him outside. Mm-hmm. And, the girl, and, and it was all because the owner of the establishment did assault them. And you know it wasn't right, so I didn't I didn't do anything. I mean I pushed him out. Now when I did let her know, like, listen, I gave you a pass on the first one when you stabbed me. You come near me again, I am going to shoot you. You know what I mean? So it's, but a lot of times, cops get into this mindset. Not to mention the fact that they're not being held accountable when they do things wrong. Yep. Now you have. And, and and it's weird the way it works because I feel as though the way the law works, you have it 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 will fall. It's never going to be a perfect system. Now you'll have cops that are scared to shoot, 
and end up getting hurt or killed, or you have cops that do it right. But and and that's the and that's the difference. Like a couple of my students asked me, they was like, "Well, if you did all of this, why do you still go train?" And I said, "My mindset: amateurs train to get it right, professionals train so they can't get it wrong." So I'm constantly training because I don't ever want to be able to get it wrong. Mm-hmm. It's all about maintenance at the end of the day, right? Exactly. You know, because what is it? It's uh, it's prepping, conditioning, and then maintenance. Right. Right. That's the things right there. So why you still train after you got it is because you want to keep it. <laughs> exactly. And it's, that's, that's it's the funny. yeah, and it's funny that shows that both of you say that because. I'm a firearms instructor here in Illinois. And when I see my students out in the public, I always ask them, when's the last time you've been to the range? About 90% of the time, they say, when I was with you. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, it's a, it's a skill that can diminish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, definitely. Absolutely. And, I mean, I, I, I see it even in myself sometimes um, most recently when I had shoulder surgery. So I'm out of commission for six months, right? Mm-hmm. I go back to shoot and I'm nowhere near as crisp as I was prior to the shoulder surgery. Yeah. You know, so it, it is definitely a skill that can diminish. And I think more and more people need to educate when they're training in that manner, that this is a diminishable skill. You must yep. continue to train no matter what, if you're not willing to put in the time to train, if you're not willing to, to you know, perfect the skill, there's no reason in doing it. Exactly. And you know the funny thing I found when I went to the range last, I was doing a training class, and one of the guys um, that works for the, one of the managers that works for the company, every time the company books the range and I'm there all day, he'll come out, and he'll be like, yo, he'll be like, come on, Byron, it's go time. So what we'll do is we'll hang a target up and we'll aim for the little guy in the corner. And we'll send the little guy out to like 20 yards. Something that's ridiculously hard to hit. Right, right. And then the last time we send it out to 25 yards. So at 25 yards, all you see is a little bit of orange on his little corner all the way out. I was actually embarrassed because I my, my I'm right hand dominant. I hit the little guy in the head with my left hand. I couldn't touch him with my right hand. But the, <laughs> but the last couple of times I was at the range, all I've been working on is my support hand. Okay. So <laughs> it showed right. that when it came time to hit the little guy, I got a headshot with my support hand and <laughs> completely missed him with my right hand. Mm-hmm. So it just, it just shows that the difference, and I mean, then it was weird because then when I went for headshots on the big guy, I did four out of five, and my last one dropped into the body with my right hand, but then with my left hand, I was two for five, where three dropped into the body. So, it was, you know, it's just always things you want to do to always push yourself to the limit to see what you, you can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't plan on never shooting anybody from 25 yards, but it's good to know that I could if I had to. <laughs> true, yeah, true, right? true. Right. So, so we were talking about, uh, you know, your uh, escalation of violence uh, when you're doing your private sector things. Do police officers actually have a code 
of escalation compared to de-escalation? Honestly, I think officers just kind of show up and do what they want because they have the FOP to back them. And it's never really any repercussions if they get it wrong. They just know that, oh, if you if you get it wrong and they say you excessively beat this man, just say you fear for your life. Mm-hmm. That'll make it all go away. Right. Where in the private sector, you better be you better have a reason if as to if it works up the deadly force, you better have a reason as to why it worked up that fast. And once again, it, it's not that it's hard, but it's all about how you articulate your actions. So one of the things when I train people, the use of force continuum is is great, but it, I like to give people scenarios to make them think. And then when I ask people, well, is there any situations in, in Pennsylvania where you can shoot somebody that's unarmed? A lot of the people say, no, you can't shoot somebody that's unarmed, which isn't true. But if you do, you better have a reason. Right. So one of the guys that worked for the company, George, he was in the military. I think he's deployed now because I haven't seen him in a while. But George is probably like 6'5", and George is like 290, all muscle. Like, he looked like a bodybuilder. And I, and he came into class one day when I was doing a class, and I was like, and I was right around that time. I was like, so if he said he was going to rip your arm off and beat you with it, what you going to do? And he was like, I don't know. I was like, I'm telling you, I'm shooting. So the gun, <laughs> I don't know what he knows hand to hand wise, but you see how big he is. Right. Oh, I was like, oh, I can explain that. Right. I could definitely articulate that in court. I was like, but you got to understand what your skill set is. But more importantly, when when to escalate level first to make sure you live and go home. Well, and, and that's 100% spot on. And, and the issue that I have a lot of times when I get into discussions about police conduct compared to the expectation of a civilian firearm owner is that they expect us to be a professional witness. They expect us to know every single law. They expect us to know what we can and cannot do. They expect us to use sound judgment on duress and the same doesn't seem to apply a hundred percent of of the time to police officers exactly mm-hmm. it was just a police officer i believe in pittsburgh they got off uh on charges of murder because these guys were claimed to have a, a gun in the car now they did re- reload they did recover the gun in the car however when one of the dudes jumped out of the car and ran down the block the cop shot him in his back like five or six times so that fearing for your life while somebody's running away, that wouldn't work in the private sector. No, not at all. Because you should, all. so he, I'm not sure about where you guys live and, and the laws there, but for instance, here in Illinois, if someone was to kick in my door right now and I presented my firearm, if they turn and ran and their back is showing to me, I would go to prison for murder if I shot him. Exactly. Yeah. And I and, and see that's the thing. It has to be it, that that I think that's everywhere. Now, and that was another thing I, I posed to some of the guys too, where was are you allowed to shoot somebody in the back? And everybody was like, No, 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 you can't. And I said, Technically you can, but under what circumstances? 
Now, if you walk in and somebody has a gun in somebody's head and said, I told you I was going to kill you. Now, if you shoot this person in the back, now up here, you can use lethal force to protect yourself or someone else. Correct. In Pennsylvania. So would you be fine with it? Yeah, you'll get away. But it's all depending on the case by case basis. Now, if this guy takes your wallet and runs down the street and you shoot him in the back, no, you're going to jail. Because mm-hmm. he might have presented a threat when he pointed the gun at you and took your wallet. Right, but once he turned around, he's not a threat. He gave up. Right. I was like, man, if you wanted to, if you decided to draw and call him, and if he turns around, then, well, it's open season. But And see, that's why I have such a tough time with this this situation because how is it that you don't get the same benefit of the doubt that you actually feared for your life as a civilian of someone breaking into your house than a cop does fear for his life when he does a random traffic stop it it, it definitely isn't fair at all it's it's a it's a slippery slope for regular civilians. And it's sad that a lot of people will get a gun and they won't know until they find themselves in a situation and use a firearm. Then it's like, then they quit. Then they get nervous because it's like, okay, I was scared. I used my firearm, but now I'm being questioned like I'm the bad guy. Like I did something. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I I can give you, I can give you a, a personal experience with that. A couple years ago, I was doing some security work at a bar and I, I, I was carrying at the time and I had a gentleman that was uh, getting a little rowdy. Okay. Safe to say he's been drinking all day long, him and his buddies and whatever. So after a couple of heated exchanges between him and another patron, I asked the gentleman to leave the establishment. He got up in my face and wanted to fight. I told him, bro, we can do whatever you want to do as long as we do it outside of the, of the, of the, uh, of the location. So as I'm escorting him and his crew outside, I realized that I actually put myself in a bad situation because I ended up outside first while he and seven other guys came after me. So I was pretty much, you know, trapped with them in between me and the door. So I'm outside parking lot, whatever the case may be. As I turn around, this dude's already got a shirt off. He's ready to fight, blah, blah, blah. Now he, outsized me about he's about twice my size um he was drunk been drinking all day and he had six homeboys with him right so i'm thinking about this situation and i'm thinking well if it's a straight up fight i could probably take him but i don't know that if i drop him i don't have to drop every last one of them right so i was like i don't want to do i don't want to go through all of that so i presented my firearm and i gave them commands immediately everything de-escalated. So I used my tool as a force equalizer instead of of me threatening them with it. Does that make sense? So I'm I'm standing there in high ready and I'm giving them commands to back up, to go to their vehicles, to exit the premises. The police are being called, you know, so on and so forth. And I'm loud, so I know everybody on inside can hear me. So I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do even with this firearm presented. So the situation de-escalated. They went home. The father of the, the aggressor came out 
and wanted to speak with me and he apologized. He said, these dudes do this everywhere we go. They've been kicked out of every bar in the area, so on and so forth. So he left. Now I'm sitting there after everybody's gone, I'm reholstered and my heart is pounding, bro. And I'm like, when the cops get here, how am I going to justify this? Even though I knew I was doing the right thing, I have to now think about the consequences on how quickly they can turn what I did into a crime. Mm -hmm. And that's the battle that the majority of civilians who, who decide to own firearms for personal protection or concealed carry don't 100% understand. Yep. Because like you said, in, um, in New York, you put a gun in your hand as low. That's a violent felony now. You know? Exactly. Like, it's, it's crazy. And you ain't even done nothing. Exactly. <laughs> you know? And, and, and I think that along with the, the education part also comes with proper terminology when we as black men and women speak about firearms um, in our community amongst one another to really let people know that this is the difference between this and this. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, this is what an aggravated assault compared to a battery is. This is, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think we need to get more into the, um, the, the context of each one of these laws that hold different weight in the court system so people understand better of what their actions could turn into. Exactly. If they have to, you know, interact with police afterwards. And this is one of the things that I stress to a lot of the people I train. I'm like, listen, Cops are supposed to be the good guy. You defended yourself. When you when they arrive, they may treat you like you're the bad guy. And I was like, it's going to take a while for that adrenaline to, to go down. I was like, and if you don't have legal representation, if you're not a member of USCCA or NRA Carry Guard or whatever it is that you choose to have so you get legal representation, I was like, tell them, you have no problem on fully cooperating but you need time for the adrenaline to go away and for you to solidly get your thoughts together before you can respond. And at that point, don't say nothing else. Either call a lawyer or sit there until you know that every statement that you're going to make is 100% accurate. Because even if you say, well, he said he was going, he said he was going to beat me up, then he, he took a step towards me and then I drew my firearm and then he he started going in his pockets and I shot him. Then they, then you'd be like, well, when I went when I went and then later if you're telling, well, you know, when I drew my firearm, he went in his pockets, but he took a step back. Now they're like, so why didn't you tell us that earlier? Mm-hmm. Now the problem is you still could be it could be a great shoe because you don't know what he has in his pockets. Hands hurt you. He got anything in his pocket, but they they try and twist it to make you doubt yourself to see if they could catch you up in something. Now, I know in Pennsylvania, and from from being in shootings and a lot of the people that I know that have been in them, as long as what you say lines up and makes sense, they really don't hassle you too much. Depending on the situation, it also depends on your background, too. Because I know during the private sector stuff, 
in Pennsylvania, we're, we're certified under the state police. So we get badges and everything. Like our, we get official badges and everything. So, you know, when they show up and they see the badge and even if you're not working with the, and I can't say all across the board, but with a lot of officers, you get that respect. So if you're not saying that and they'll tell you, Hey man, calm down. Hey, you want something to drink? So they, they get it. Mm-hmm. Especially cops that have been in the shooting. So, you know, they 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 kind of give you that minute to just go ahead. And a lot of the times, yo, look, man, you got to come down homicide. Okay. Well, let me go get in my car. I'll drive down there. I'll meet you down there. You know what I mean? And you go get your car and drive down there and meet him down there. But, or meet whatever detective you're going to talk to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but a lot of times when it's the general public... 90% of the times out of anybody being in their first shoe and their heart is going to be racing, they're going to be in the panic. They, they're going to be all over the place. And But when the cops come, well, tell me what happened. First off, that person ain't going to know what happened, especially if this is the first time they ever seen somebody shot yeah. or physically had to hurt somebody themselves to that degree. Absolutely. They're not, they're not going to be ready to talk. They're going to be in shock. Yep. Like and I t- and and that's one of the things that I told with, with a lot of the armed guard class. I asked them. I said, "Do y'all think y'all could really shoot somebody?" And one of the people in the class said, "Well, I don't know. Like, I know I could in the right situation, but I really don't want to." I said, "Exactly." I was like, "That's but that's how I want you to think." I was like, "Because you got to understand, out here you're carrying a gun," and I was like, "Don't get it confused. I don't want to hurt anybody, but I'm not carrying the gun to not shoot." I'm carrying a gun to shoot if I have to. Mm-hmm. Not that I want to, but if it's something that's going to jeopardize me going home at night, I'm sorry. I will use it and, and have no regrets about it. Mm-hmm. But that's one of the things that I think a lot of people get into carrying a gun and they don't really ask themselves the serious questions like this. Like, could I really shoot someone? And it, and I tell people, oh, it's not going to be like Hollywood. <laughs> no, not at all. So, so here, so here's a question. So, how would you teach someone to de-escalate a situation when they have a firearm in their possession? My biggest thing is relax. Try and try and walk away from the situation because it's just like you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Mm-hmm. Just because you have a gun, having a gun should make you the most less confrontational person in the room. That's yeah, what I, I, that cool I totally agree with that. Yes, <laughs> I, and, I, and I said it like even growing up in the hood, like carrying. My mom used to be worried. Oh, I don't want you to have a gun. You got a bad attitude. My attitude has been more mellow carrying the gun than ever. Now, if you talk trash and I don't have a gun, you it's, it's a better opportunity to get me off my square and draw me into a conversation. When I'm armed, I'm just being my, like, bro, you got it. It's cool. What are you looking at? I would, you know what? My bad. I shouldn't even be looking in your direction. I apologize. It's cool. Yep. Oh, you a sucker. You know what? That's fine, too. Mm. As long as you don't touch me, I don't care what you had to say. Yeah. As long as you don't touch me or attempt to touch me, we're good. Yep. So I think one of the biggest things that I, I focus on is telling people, First off, situational awareness. Because a lot of times you could see a bad situation 
remove yourself before it goes there. Yep. And if you can't, try and talk somebody down. Because I know a week ago, I was hanging out at a bar, um, well, a little strip club bar that my, my team has had security over for the last, I don't even know, like eight years. I used to work it years ago. Now one of my buddies does unarmed. And we were in there with him. This guy gets into it with one of the strippers. Um, he said he, he wanted to have sex with her. She He did. Then he said he wasn't paying her. Now, he probably thought that she was just one of these soft girls. But this girl fights dudes. So they get into a fight. <laughs> and she put hands on him. So my buddy that's working goes in to break it up while me and his brother at the bar watching. And then a couple of people was like, man, and one of the girls that know us that was bartending, she was like, they didn't even do nothing. And I said, you're exactly right. We didn't do nothing. Well, I was like, because we're here. We'll back our man up, but we're not working. So we're not being the first person to run in and make contact because we're not working. Mm-hmm. It's none of our business, technically. So he goes in, he breaks it up. When he And then he tells us later when he went in, the dude had her in a headlock and she's punching him in his ribs. And then he said, yo, let her go. He said, I'm not letting her go. So he punched the dude, and dude was like, all right, I'm letting her go. I'm letting her go. So he pushes boy in. Now my other buddy, which is his brother, goes in, and he got the dude sitting on the couch holding him there. My other buddy takes the girl out, and she comes out crying. Like, I told him, people keep testing me. I really don't be trying to get in conflict, but people keep testing me. Mind you, I'm looking at her face like, that. all you got is tears? You just for a grown man. Then I see him. He got a couple lumps on him. I'm like, oh, all right, yeah, see? She put some hands on me. So then they separated. So then my, my buddy was like, just I was like, why are you holding him? He said, I'm trying to make sure um that they separated. Wait as fast if we could let him go. So I go to I go find him. He like, yeah, it's cool, both leave. So I give my man a hand signal. He let him go. So dude starts running towards me and my guy fat. So I'm like, oh, so this dude really want to fight now. So Fats bear hugs him was like, dude, relax. He was like, yo, y'all can't keep and then Josh chases him over. So we're around, we're surrounding him at this point. He was like, Y'all can't keep me here all night. And Fats is like, I'm not trying to keep you here all night. I'm just trying to say, bro, calm down and don't do nothing stupid. And his response was, Don't get involved, then you'll be fine. And he like, listen, bro, don't do nothing stupid. And boy was like, listen, you can't keep me here all night. And like I said, don't get involved, then you'll be all right. So he let him go, bull run down the steps. So me, of course, we all follow him outside. Now, they go outside first. So I go inside to look, make sure everything is good on the inside downstairs. And then the owner is like, everything cool. I was like, we'll talk about it in a little bit. And I said, then apparently the reason he asked me was everything okay. It's because apparently one of my boys was like, yo, look, it might get ugly. So I don't know what's going on around here. So... You got the cameras on, cause that way you know if if dude came back, the cameras are rolling, so it's easier to justify a shooting when the cameras was rolling. So we don't, I don't know if the cameras were off on. So when I walk outside, I see my buddy cause he a lefty. He has his gun in his hand behind his back, walking up to the corner while his brother is following dude to his car, telling him calm down. So I wasn't there, but I could hear the tire screech as bull pulled off. So then when my buddy comes back around the corner, he like, yo, I think you're going to come back and do something stupid, yo. I was like, yeah, I heard the way he pulled off. It sounds about right. So now, and I'm telling them, and now we sitting out in front of the place now. A couple of the girls was out there dressed, trying to have a cigarette or whatever. So I'm like, yo, 
and I could hear a car driving fast on the other side of the street. And I'm like, look, because the where it is, it's like a little block. But it's a one-way street to come down there to go past it. Mm-hmm. So I could hear a car driving fast. I'm like, yo, everybody move from the front of the bar. And my man, like, wow, what's up? I was I hear somebody driving mad fast, yo. Now, at this point, dude has never paid no attention to me. He doesn't even know I have anything to do with anybody. Mm-hmm. So then we hear the tire screeching. Now, as soon as I hear that, I come right out the holster, and it's, the gun is just beside my leg. So dude spins around the corner. Now, he has the gun in his right hand, but he's not pointing at nobody. He's like, yo, tell Shorty to come outside. So my man draws on him and said, bro, don't be stupid. Drive off and go home. So at this time, now dude not even worried about me because now my buddy said something, so I'm not saying anything. Now, I'm behind this dude's car, and I, I, my front sight is aligned right with his back, right between the back seat of that driver chair. So he's still arguing with my buddy. Now, I can see the gun in his hand. Now, my buddy had a few drinks. So he's still trying to talk my man down, like, dude, just go home. It's not that serious. So Bull pulls up fast, stops, slams on the brake, jumps out the car. Now, when he's standing there trying to argue with my buddy, now, I'm leaning from behind the car. Always got to hate a cover of concealment. Absolutely. He still doesn't even see me because of the way that I'm leaning. Only thing that's really pointing out is you see a little bit of my, my head probably, and you, my gun is out. So he's not really paying attention to me. Now, I had dude lined up while they're arguing. And, and my buddy's still talking. Once again, there's no reason for me to say anything. He's already the mouthpiece now. And this just goes from tactical training when we used to train together and how we would do stuff for working in the field. At this point, you made contact. What do you mean? You're talking? Well, you continue to talk. I just know I got main man lined up if things go south. Right. So, ball goes between the cars arguing with my buddy. So, now I'm aiming between like three or four cars, but I still got a great shot. <laughs> and he still don't even see me, which is perfect. <laughs> So then I see him moving back out towards the street. So I'm already I'm already going to meet him there. I'm already there. So now I know I have a perfect shot. You couldn't get in that car without me t- shooting you if I wanted to. So then my buddy's coming out, and I'm like, damn it. He going to make – and because he didn't know where I was because I was behind me. And I'm like, okay. And I can see the way he is moving. I'm like, yo, this dude is going to force me out. So boy, is going to see me. So I had to move out a little bit more because I knew he was trying to use the cars for cover concealment too. So when he leaned, when he was behind the car, I had to lean out a little further. So Bull could see me now, but he also see my position and how I already had him lined up, and I haven't been talking at all. Mm-hmm. So once he seen that, he just jumped back in his car. And it was good, because at this point, I had already had the finger on the trigger, because now you're out here, and I know you see me. Absolutely. And you still got the gun in your hand. So now, I, I, finger was already on the trigger, I already got the play out and everything. Now it's just like, Man, man, you wave that gun a little bit too hard, you're going to catch two or three immediately. <laughs> hey, it is what it is. So, so then dude gets in his car, he drives down, turns around the block, turns on the other corner, and he's yelling out the window. Da-da-da-da. So then my buddy, what's up, Zai? Then my buddy is talking, still trying to talk him down, so we hear him let the shot off. So we hear that. Now I start moving toward the, cor- toward the corner, and my man is like, yo, he pulled off. He pulled off. I said, okay. Well, where did he shoot at? He was like, he just shot up in the air, bro. I was like, all right, cool. And I was like, he, he he's coming around here with a point to prove. Main man almost didn't go home. Mm-hmm. Because you let a girl beat you up and your ego was hurt. Just drive off. 
And my buddy was trying to tell me, don't do nothing stupid. But based off of the comment, don't get involved. You'll be okay. For me, I'm I'm always about situational awareness. So when I heard that, I'm like, oh, he definitely coming back. Right. <laughs> right. Sure. I'm like, we got a live one here. Absolutely. And then my buddy at there was all sitting there. He was like, yo, where were you? I was like, behind you. He was like, bro. He was like, we got to work on that. I was like, it's nothing to work on. I was like, all you needed to know was that I had your six and I always had a great shot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, all I knew was that I wasn't in your line of fire, and that's all that mattered. I was like, you didn't need to see me, just you knew I was there. He right. was like, exactly. And he was like, well, I kept moving around, but I didn't know where you was. I was like, don't worry about it. I was far enough back to see your movements and him. I adjusted to your movements, so I would never have my shot compromised. And he was like, he was like, that's why I love. I can work with you any day, bro. I was like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me a little bit about Train to Fight. How'd you get started on that? Man, the funny thing was, I really just wanted to. I started a security company, and when we were going to do training to become armed, because I was like, man, if I start a security company, I got to go through the training to become armed because I don't want none of these guys saying, oh, it was so hard, and I couldn't really argue because I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I went through the training, and it's funny because in the training, I met my buddy Josh again. We went to middle school together. We hadn't seen each other in years. So me and him reconnect in the class, and, the, and one of the guys in the class, the, the instructor who's my mentor, now, he was like, uh, do I have any shooters in the class? So I raised my hand, and another guy, Jesse, raised his hand. So when it came time for the shooting qualification, even though they made us qualify with revolvers, and um, Jesse wanted to qualify, and he came in like, yo, I fell. And they're like, everybody else is like, wait, what? You wanted the shooters, bro? He was like, stop playing. He was like, no, I'm serious, dude. I fell. So then I was in the next group going up, and they like, yo, if you come back and you fell, dog, it's, it's just a wrap for us. But when I went and shot, all right, cool. I went and shot, I passed. And then there was somebody else that was struggling. So I started giving them pointers. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm not even a revolver guy. But listen, if you hold the gun like this and do this, you could do this. Then when it comes to your reset, because we had to reload, it was 10-shot qualification. So you know with a revolver, you only get six. So mm-hmm. I'm telling them, I'm like, this is how you work it out. Just got to make sure when you reset it, do this. And I was this way you know if that bullet is going to be right there or you're going to get a dry fire or dry fire, and then you'll be at live round. And the instructor at the time, he's watching me do this. He's not saying anything. He's just observing. So at the end of class, he was like, yo, he told me uh, to hang behind. I'm like, what's up? He was like, you ever thought about becoming a firearms instructor? I was like, no. I was like, I just kind of want to run a security company. He was like, listen. He said, you gave this guy great pointers, great pointers. He said, the only thing that you didn't have is the proper terminology. He was like, everything else you did was flawless. He was like, and he passed because of you. He was like, you should think about it. So I said, okay. Then I was doing my security company stuff. And then I, I seen him a couple months later because we used to all, I used to always go pick his brain and talk to him. We'd go to the playoff games and just talk business. So he was like, yo, man, you never thought about what I said about the firearms instructor. I was like, nah. He was like, I put it to you like this. You like making money, right? I said, yeah. He said, well, in security, what happens? I was like, you do your details and then you get paid. He said, but as an instructor, people pay you, and then you go teach. And I said, hmm, <laughs> you might be on to something. <laughs> so 
then I went down. I I went to my first NRA class. I found a black training counselor in my area, and his prices were so much cheaper than everybody else. Mm-hmm. So, because he wasn't price gouging, because I mean they made us do the basic pistol class, the bit, and then the instructor training, or the bit, the basic pistol, and then the instructor class. So for all three, he only charged us one fifty. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So I was like, yo, his prices were like incredible. So I went there and I did that. Then I came back and I did the rifle and shotgun with him and home firearm safety. But the thing I liked about it was he seen it drive me. And I was like, listen, I was telling him, like, I'm thinking about starting a training company now. So when I told him he was doing his rifle and shotgun class and I said, listen, man, I'm going to have to catch one of them next time because I don't have enough money for him. And he was like, listen, come to the class. Pay me when you can. He was like, I know what I I always tell you, I'll get your money first. He's like, but I see something in you. I see a passion in the drive. Come to the class. You pay me when you can. So a couple weeks after the class, I paid him. Then he said he was doing home firearm safety. I said, okay, I want to do that too, but I don't have the money. He said, same thing. Show up. Pay me when you can. So after me doing training a little bit, and I started seeing the reactions I was getting out of people, and people were feeling good about the skills. So I was like, okay, I want to get more and more into training. So I was going around taking training classes with people about defensive shooting. And then I started implementing some of that stuff. And then it just became like, I don't even want to do security because the security thing I love doing because we're protecting people that couldn't protect themselves. But from the training aspect, I'm giving people skills that they're able to protect themselves when me and my team aren't around. And that was priceless. So then I kind of just wanted to focus on training. And then I was like, then when I started getting discouraged, like, man, this training thing isn't going nowhere. I ended up getting interviewed on Fox 29 in the, in the Philadelphia area about New Jersey gun laws and gun rights. So then after that, I was just like, oh, I might be on to something here. And then at that point, I was just like full-fledged training. I didn't care about security. <laughs> I didn't care about, I didn't really want to work no nine to five no more, but I had to, of course. And then at that point, train the fight became born shortly thereafter. Because originally I was operating under Philly gun teacher and then when I watched the interview on TV and the lady said it, and like, Philly Gun Teacher LLC, I was like, damn, that sounds kind of hood. Mm-hmm. And I mean, some people like the name of Philly Gun Teacher. And I was like, but I want to be more than just a gun teacher. I was like, it's more than shooting. I was like, Cause shooting is so much more mental than it is physical. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do something that's more overall encompassing of everything. But my, my motto with Philly Gun Teacher was train to fight fight how you train train to survive so i was like, i need to come up with a new name and i was like dang i've been saying train to fight for a long time well i'm gonna make that my company slogan there you go and then i was like well it's already my company slogan so i'm just gonna take train to fight and make that my new company and i already had a slogan for it train to fight fight how you train train to survive and then here i am <clears throat> a couple years later <laughs> i like it I like it. So Byron, um, I'm sorry, Troy. So you are uh, labeled yourself as a gun enthusiast. Mm -hmm. How how would you define that? All right. Let's see if I can get myself together here. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess we'll just get a little background on me. I shot my very first gun when I was nine. Um, And, you know, I came from a family where my 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 father had guns because he was security. Also, was like he was also had a gold shield, so he was 
he had a little bit of revolver, you know, this was back in the eighties, you know, late seventies and stuff. So he had a revolver <clears throat> or revolver trading. And of course, you know, grew up in the South where, you know, granddaddy, you know, grandma had shotgun skills. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, and I have an uncle who, you know, was also done some stuff with the police and he lives and dies by, you know, the Ruger GP, you know, 100, 357 Magnum, the Model 29. He he lives three lives and dies by a 357, right? So my exposure to it was actually with a bunch of white friends because my mother is not a fan of firearms at all to this day. Um, but my friend, you know, we, at the time was like, oh, that's a white boy thing. And that's why I learned how to shoot. I shot my very first rifle at nine, right? Okay. <laughs> Later on, fast forward a little bit, I joined the military. So I get more exposure to military grade weapons, you know, the M16A1, select fire, full automatic, um, the M60, cruise serve weapon, the M249 saw, the M240 saw, the Mod I love the 249 saw. That's nice, man. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. I still like the Hog, which is the 60. Um, then I shot, you know, bigger cruise serve weapons such as the um, the uh, Mod Deuce. And then also the Mark 19 40 millimeter grenade launcher, right? Um, so I had experience with that, just military grade. I also shot the M1911, and then when they and then they cross over to the M9. So that's when I got a healthy dosage of firearms experience was in the military on that level. Um, more rifle and crew served than actually pistol. The pistols were really much assigned to medics and uh, officers, right? Commanding officers primarily. So <clears throat> fast forward, then I started getting into firearms, just, you know, talking and discussing firearms and more from the civilian side. And then um, about 10 years to this day, I've, I consider myself an enthusiast because I started with, you know, started with the shotgun, you know, um, started with the Remington 870. I had, you know, um, a, a GP100. I had, um, I'm sorry, GP on I had a Smith and Wesson um, time, and uh, kind of growing from there. I wound up getting you know a couple of you know Caltech PF9. I got, and of course, I bought the Smith and Wesson 500, my first one. You know, bought AR10, couple AR15, started building, and then I started getting the various calibers, going from 22 long all the way up to the 600 Nitro Express, and having 70 different firearms. You know, carry on relics to, you know, black tack, to revolvers, pistols, bolt action, lever action, break open action, breach, cannon, cannon breach action. So I got various different firearms and it started getting more into them uh, on that level. So that's what would classify me as an enthusiast because I shoot a little bit of everything. You know, I'm not the greatest shot in one thing. I'm just fairly decent in a lot. You know, And it's funny that I'm actually more proficient with a 454 Kasul Super Red Hawk Alaska than I am with a Glock 19. You know, you know, you're talking about a whole lot of names and terminology that the 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 amateur and I'm gonna include myself on that have no idea what you're talking about, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'll just break it down like from the caliber perspective, right? That's that's the enthusiast, right? The enthusiast. No, no, I, and, and I. And I Trust me, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to stop you from 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 talking the talk. Oh, no, no. I think that that's very important 
Um, and, it, and it shows to your level of in, in enthusiasm, enthusiasm that you have. Um, for, for listeners who are not well-versed, yeah, break it down for them. All right, well, I'll break down like as far as calibers. Just to give you a like, layman's term, um, from ballistics-wise, everybody knows the 9mm. 9mm is probably the most common round. Everybody knows. They may not know the specifics of it, but they heard it in the song, seen it in the show, seen it in the movie. You know, everybody's talked about that round. Well, round nine millimeter round is roughly look at recoil round. This is probably about four pounds, foot pounds of recoil, roughly, right? A six hundred nitro express, which is my my biggest caliber that I have, is around one hundred and twenty four foot pounds of recoil. Right, Troy, I'm gonna come shoot that. By the way, so again, yeah, yeah, I got you, man. Um, hey, man. That sounds like a wrist breaker to me. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shoulder breaker, wrist breaker, uh, you know, the whole body. Because this is the type of round, because you got the 9 millimeter, which if you hit, you know, somebody in the skull, you, you could kill them or get stuck, right? A, right? a 600 Nitro Express, just a shock alone, will knock out a bull elephant for a half hour, right? That's, that's just a shock. That's not even hitting it. That's just a shock from the, wet, the round passing by. So see when we start when we start talking about you know the uh, the lethality of of certain firearms you know the talk is all around assault rifles and scary big black guns but I would probably be more afraid of that and you would very much be correct and and it's a single shot <laughs> right but the thing is though it also comes down to the power and that's what kind of makes it enthusiast because I kind of like the respect everybody's area you know i'm not i'm not the i'm not the guy that's going to be crouching behind the car ready to got this guy in my hair and ready to take him down i'm the guy but i am the guy that will you know risk breaking his shoulder to show you that this gun right here anybody can shoot and it's a lot of fun but but i, I do respect everybody's aspect and i broke it down to like the five i call it the five shins of firearms ownership there's um for legit to be legit fire ownership, there's protection, which is the primary, right? There's collection, which I would fall under. There's competition, which you know you had the two gun, the three gun, the president's one hundred, the um sometimes there's the shotgun. I can't think of the, the actual name of the competition for the shotgun. It's trap and skeet, which is outside of that as well, which is also shotgun, but there's another tactical shotgun. A competition, but you have the trap and the skeet as well, just solo, not necessarily with, associated with three gun. Um, mm -hmm. Then you have the preservation, you're right? Because I say to preserve life, you got to what sustain nutrients. Nutrients can be acquired through meat, and you can get meat from hunting. That's where the hunters fall in. And then there's recreation, right? Just going to have a little bit of fun, punch some paper, let off some steam, the whole nine yards. And that's how I break down the five shins of firearms ownership. I said there is a sixth shin as well um, that if you fall in that category, you probably don't need to have a firearm. Um, and that's aggression, right? Okay. Um, if you are aggressive, because you, you, a lot of people like, you know, you can tell a lot of people who are really passive when they don't have firearms. You know, they're not. But it's a guy that's always burnishing his firearm. It's a guy that that you know for a fact that any other circumstance wouldn't do anything, 
but now that he's got it, he's like the baddest man to block. He he bully. He's a bully. Right, right. That's a that's the aggressor, right? That's the kind of battle that we had to contest in the streets. Like that brother that was in and at that strip club, he peeled off and came back. He was an aggressor. You know, there was no right. there was no talking him down. He's like, I'm gonna you be out my right. way. Out. That's the aggressor. He does not need a firearm because. There's, re- there's um, you know, as we know, there can be repercussions of being an aggressor because that aggression, had it not been qualmed, would have cost him his life because he has somebody who has protection on his mind, right? That had him in his sights, ready to drop him. At any at given's notice, he was going down, no questions asked. So the aggression leads you to jail or the morgue. Right, you know, yep. those two places you're definitely going if you don't if you don't fall back. Um, Very true. So that's how I kind of think of myself as you know an enthusiast and as a collector because you know, and then I factor in my experience as far as tactical training was to be a military, and I did a little bit more. You know, basic they require you to do twice a year, but we've done extra training as well. You know, to kind of keep our skills, especially during combat time when a lot of people going down range we had to get them ready to go down range um but during peacetime we still did stuff to kind of prepare to go down range so it was that's the kind of training i got i never had to go down range thank god <laughs> and people were like how you how you get so lucky i'm like hey <laughs> hey you know so but that's kind of where i fall in as far as enthusiasts knowing that i'm ready to protect my family if necessary um, I, you know, I collect, so I got a serious amount of firearms looking at getting more, um, or looking to get into hunting. So I'm gonna try to fall into all five categories one day. Right now I'm in three. Gotcha. Right? So I'm trying to, you know, get all five and that's how it is. Some people may be really strong in one and then, and some people may be very proficient in all five. So it's, you know, the, the biggest thing of, that's, that's kind of where I fall as far as my firearms experience. And I guess I've kind of gotten a lot of respect because of the education that I provide on that level. It's not, you know, all there's the guys, you know, that will teach you how to use that weapon for defense. And then there's me that'll teach you about the weapon itself. You know. And it, so with that being yeah, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say with with that being said, I might have to uh commission you to do a uh do a couple of segments on different firearms, just kind of explaining, giving the rundown and, and your maybe your critique of them. Oh, I'll definitely do basically. And, you know, I, I base it off of, you know, I'll be the base of a gun that I own or a gun that I shot. You know, any gun that I've just seen, I'll try to give base because, you know, to me, I'd like to kind of give, I'll try to give a little bit of a gun that I never shot off of Google and stuff like that. But I definitely would do it off. I've shot a significant amount of firearms to where I can give you you know, some really good, honest critique on it. I've shot, like I said, everything from a 22 long all the way up to a 40 millimeter grenade. So I I have a, a, sick, a significant, and an exotic rounds like the Nitro Express, you know, and stuff like that. BMG, you know, I've shot some significant stuff. People, gun, um, rounds that people probably never heard of, World War II stuff, World War One, you know, Korean, Vietnam. You know, I've shot these type of firearms that people wouldn't even think that were out there, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's and I and I just from basically learning, you know, hearing about it from somebody else and saying, hmm, let me try that. 
And I okay. to be like, yes, I like this. Like, you know, a K98 millimeter Mauser, that's a beautiful gun, you know. <laughs> you wouldn't use that for, you know, defense. You know, you wouldn't use that for tactical. You know, that's more of a sniper round. You know, that's more of a, gotcha. you know, knock your head off, you know, from 700 yards. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Right, right. So that's where I fall, all in a nutshell, with all my family. <laughs> you know, it's 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 good, and I thank you for that. Um, you know, more than anything, um, what I'm trying to do with this podcast, is, you know, along with building content, is also to you know bring members to the forefront, give people some of their background, maybe use you as resources down the road for people to call on to. Um, you know, inquire about certain things, uh, you know, bounce ideas off of you and so on and so forth. So I appreciate both of you gentlemen doing this for me tonight. Oh, no problem. Anytime. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to uh, wrap it up shortly. I do want to ask a couple more questions though. Um, so with, with both of you being at the levels that you are, um, what would be your number one advice for someone who, is maybe anti-gun to to on the fence or maybe they want one but not sure educate yourself before you make a rash decision yep education is everything um research guns learn more about them because a lot of the people that i've trained that were anti-gun were anti-gun because they knew nothing about them except violence that they hear on the news Yep. So, don't just go ahead and say, hey, guns are bad because of what I hear. No. A gun is just a tool. Pe- the people that use them that you heard about were bad. Right. The gun didn't do it. The gun is just a tool. Yep. I find myself saying that, that same exact argument, and I use the word tool uh, in, in the same fashion. Um, every time I deal with somebody who's, you know, doesn't want to touch a gun, doesn't want to own a gun, doesn't want a gun in the house, I always use the fire extinguisher connection, right? So if you own a home, there's a good probability that you have a fire extinguisher for just in case there's a fire in the house. That's the firearm in the same aspect. That's my fire extinguisher for a life-threatening event. I don't necessarily need to use it. It may expire and get dusty and the whole nine sitting in my holster. But if fire sparks, I can put it out. Exactly. Exactly. And my thing is um, get the education, definitely, but get with somebody who has experience and simply go to the range and shoot a firearm just to get the get the click bang aspect, you know, to get the to see what it's like to be on the controlling side of the firearm. Because when you're shooting, you are on the side that you control. Once that trigger is pulled, once that trigger is squeezed, and that round leaves, then that's that's it. You can't bring the round back. Right. Nope. But at least you can at least control up to the point that you squeeze the trigger. You have control of that firearm. So it's up to you to learn it. And just to get the click-bang aspect of it, because I've seen and as you both have seen, people who were completely afraid of firearms, apprehensive, thought they were the worst thing in the world. Now they can't get enough of them. They can't get enough, man. It's like, exactly. it's like getting a tattoo. 
know, you get one, you want more. This is how it goes. All right. Um, so I guess my last question would be moving forward with the urban sharpshooters. I know we touched on it early about some of the things that we could do. Um, the current state in which we're in, what do you guys think is something we need to pay a little more attention to and bring to the forefront and, and, and push that envelope as black gun owners? We, in my opinion, I think we need to pay, as just being as a black gun club, we already got to do, black any organization got to be twice as, work twice as hard, think four times as hard, and touch on many subjects. But I think one of the biggest things we got to do is get back to the basics, in my opinion. I think as long as we don't lose that, you know, and just having fun, that's, that's probably the thing that, I would honestly say, have fun. You know, you always, you know, you're going to train. You know what the gun is for. You know what the gun is used for. You know the primary reason that you have it, right? Let's, let's be honest. The majority of us have is for the main reason to protect our family and our loved ones to make sure we get home at night, right? That we're yep. safe. And then at home, if we're safe, maintain that safety. But don't forget to have fun. I mean, that's the biggest thing is like learn about the firearm, have them shooting events, have fun. Cause at the while you have, cause I, I found out that you know when I was in the military, there was a difference between PT and working out, right? PT is physical training, but there's so much rigidity, rigidity, you know, so rigid, it's so boring, you know, cause you got all these commands you got to do, and it, it kind of takes some of the spice out of working out, even though it's working out. But when you're having actually fun working out, when you're doing stuff like playing basketball and you're lifting weights, you're doing all these variety of things, people tend to get in better shape when they're having fun instead of it always being rigid. Right. So this times definitely have more fun and kind of take yourself too seriously. That's why we do stupid stuff like mag dumps, <laughs> you know, because it kind of releases the energy. And Absolutely. then, because yeah. it gets you, especially the new shooter, it gets a new shooter used to the click and bang. So when it's time for them, and then after people get that click and bang, they want to learn, okay, now you got the click and bang. Now we're acclimated to this gun. Now we don't have fun. Now I want to learn more about it, how I could apply to protection. How right. I apply to doing tactical drills. You know, buddy said, but move, a buddy move. Learn about cover and concealment. Learn about different types of armor plates, if that's what you want. Learn about different types of firearms. You know, and then that's the cool thing about urban sharpshooters, especially us Maryland boys. We have an array of firearms. There was times when we came out there with 30, 40 firearms, tens of thousands of rounds of ammunition of various calibers, and everybody gets a taste of something. You know, it's like, hey, have you ever shot a 30 odd six pistol before? No. Well, come on over here. <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean? Have you I'd ever shot a, you know? I tell you, when, when I saw the video of James breaking out that 50 cal, I said, ooh, I, I would go to Maryland just to do that. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You know, that 50 BMG or something. No. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Man. And we brought that out. It was funny. I, I didn't get there to see it. But when they brought it out, it was like, God damn, that's just crazy. Ooh, shit. Right. And, uh, we shot it. Well, they shot it. I wasn't there yet. There was a brother there <laughs> that was shooting his weapon. And we was in the middle. It was in the, they were in the middle one, one of the middle lanes. And they shot that thing in the gas. 
yeah. from the break, knocked all that dude stuff off the table, off his table. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> he was he was the only one that was pissed. The white boy was like, oh stop. Oh, oh, that's crazy. Oh right, right. And the brother was the only one like, God damn, it, I can't rah, rah, rah. I'm not gonna shoot here no more. What you got? The dude went home. He packed up and went home. <laughs> uh, we had a good time. We invited people over to come shoot it. You know, people that never is like bucket list. Come on over, right, absolutely, absolutely. Hey, have you, ever, you know, and that's what we do at the range. Like, hey, have you ever shot this? You know, what you got there? Oh, I got a thirty out six rifle. Well, shit, I got a thirty out six pistol. Oh, you do? Let me shoot it. Sure, you can shoot this one. All right, and we we do that. Next week, you know, you both done shot a gun you ain't never shot before, right? And you learn, and then right, you, you make a new gun button. You know, you learn all about the gun, and you learn about that person. You know, you're gonna learn about the politics and all that stuff, the red versus blue, whatever. That's that's always gonna happen. Absolutely. Um, but just learning, you know, the biggest thing is get back to the basics and have fun. That's what I and all I just said. That's the biggest thing is get back to the basics and have fun because if you have fun, get back to the basics. You'll encourage people to want to learn more, and that's when you go to classes like you know the. The, the Byrons, you know what I mean? Go to his class. Hey, shoot. I you know I was just shooting with urban sharpshooters. I was shooting a Glock 19. And I heard you do a, a good tactical or law enforcement training. You do some tactical right. training. I would like to get to learn that more, more proficient with my firearm. And I heard you're pretty good at it, you know, because you you have the nerves and the skills to show me what to take me to the next level. And now not only does, you know, he meet another friend, that's a little bit more money in his pocket. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely. And, Indeed. So it's kind of that networking thing. And I think it starts with just the basics and having fun. I think one more thing I would add, I, I, I love to talk, is qualming the egos. You know, that, especially with a lot of male shooters, we definitely are egotistical, man. We <laughs> every, every dude swear up and down, he's a Rambo. <laughs> I know one thing. I've seen egos be deflated when I do these couple training sessions. Oh man! Oh, and, and, and the females shoot better than the males. And the guy come in. Uh, I say, "Yo, listen." I say, "Come on over, man." He said, "No, no, no." You do all that safety stuff with her, and she teach her how to shoot. I'm good. I said, "Okay, say no more." Come on over here, ma'am. So she'll we'll go. We'll get out on the range. She'll shoot, and he be like, "Oh, you did good, babe." Then he come in the lane, and I'll step out. Right. Oh, no, no, no. I'm holding a gun, right? Oh, my bad. I thought she was good. Oh, let me see. <laughs> Look pretty good. You feel comfortable? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I feel good. I'm, well, go ahead. Shoot. Let's see what happens. Then he'll miss a couple of times. Then I remember one time, it was it, this one day it was priceless because they were thinking about buying the gun. So she was like, and the girls, like, I love that Glock 19. He was like, yeah, I like it too. So at the end, we come off of the range. They're looking at the targets. And she was like, Byron, I got three headshots. I'm like, I know. And then he is looking like, well, I almost got one. I missed, though. So then she walks up to him and said, well, baby, when we buy this block, we know who's going to protect who, right? And smacked him on the butt. I was just like, oh. <laughs> he looked at me, and I turned around and said, it's none of my business. I don't do domestic. Right, right. <laughs> he got humble real fast. Before he left, he was like, yo, I'm going to probably call you to do a private class, just me and you. She can't shoot better than me, bro. I said, okay, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. I, I, I know that quite a few women that I'll shoot me in a heartbeat. You know, I, I stay in my lane, literally. Like, you know, and if I got an ego, if my ego is anything, 
I bet you can't shoot that 500. All right, I'm back. Hey, I think I just I think I just learned something else about this app. Is that there's a two hour time frame. <laughs> oh, oops. <laughs> hey, no worries here, man. No worries here. So yeah. Hopefully, Byron comes back on and we can we can exit properly. All right, yeah. But yeah, it was crazy. But I get this little story real quick. Yeah. You got <laughs> we had a couple late. We did a little Baltimore chapter shooting at a free at this uh gun range in middle river called free free state and um people came out i was just gonna go out there just had my firearms to do show until i really had no intention of shooting <clears throat> of course that changed once uh, everybody started shooting i went ahead bought some rounds and uh participated but anyway some of the ladies have you know just they got just got the hql they had the hql but they haven't bought purchased pistols yet so we want to get them out there so they get some more trigger time. Mind you, this is their second time shooting ever. The first time they shot was, you know, when they did the HQL portion. They came back and we get some more trigger time. And so we walking them through, you know, they're shooting, they're shooting every, you know, the 22, they're shooting, you know, the 22 LR, they're shooting a nine millimeter. They're shooting everything like Glocks, Jonics. They're shooting, you know, um, the Grand Power. I talked one sister into the Grand Power. I said, you want an accurate pistol, great pistol, get that Grand Power Excalibur. That's probably one of the best pistols, one of the most accurate pistols you can get. It's about $700, but it's it's a great pistol. If you want to feel good going to the range, that's the pistol to shoot, bar none. That's, and the, it's first time I've, that's the first time I've ever heard of it. Yeah, that Grand Power Excalibur is sexy. Beautiful gun, great, very accurate, and she liked it. She liked the way it feel, felt in her hand, and she, she was shooting really good with that thing. This other sister was shooting good as well. So the guy didn't realize that. Um, no, nah, I'm sorry, not Free State. We're at Free State. We were at um, Small Maryland Small Arms down in Upper Marlboro. They came down from Baltimore. Excuse me. Um, well, it seems that upper that uh, Maryland Small Arms lets you shoot 458 Winchester Magnum on their ranges. Okay, I said, "Huh, is that right?" I have a 458 Winchester Magnum pistol. <laughs> Ridiculous, I know, but whatever, <laughs> right? And I wanted to shoot it, and I was like, "This is my first time shooting it," and I'm already, you know, I already had the 500 and then the 600, so the 458, I'm thinking, could be anticlimactic. I was wrong. That's got some pep in it step too. Okay. So one of the sisters, you know, I'm like, hey, I should have like, damn, that thing is loud. You can see the sparks off the back of off the back <laughs> off the backstop. And it's like, oh shit, are we sure we can shoot in here. I, I, I guess they got no problem with it, whatever. You know, so I asked first. They say, Yeah, you can shoot that. Oh, okay, whatever. So one of the sisters, the young sister, like, you know, the sister's like, hey, I want to I want to try it. You want to try this? Well, all right, come on down. I'm not gonna say, oh nope, 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 nope. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk you through it, and I'm gonna tell you what you need to do, and you're gonna execute it. You do it right, it's gonna be the greatest feeling in the world. In the world, you do it wrong, it's gonna be a feeling, but it ain't gonna feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I told, I walked through. I said, you know, this pistol, you gotta, you know, don't hold it like a regular pistol because it's way too much recoil. You're talking around seventy pounds of recoil. So you have to, or foot pounds of recoil. So you have to put a little distance on it. Like it's almost like shooting a PGO shotgun, pistol grip only shotgun. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Set with a little bit more thump, right? Yeah, you got you gotta put your body behind it. Absolutely. You gotta put your body behind it. And it's got a scope on it. So you the scope is good. Just you know, we shoot at about I got the target at about, you know, seven yards because that's pretty much where you want to hit the animal when it's coming at you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you wanna, you know, you wanna you wanna aim, you wanna have a little distance on it, and I you know, use the scope. But have some distance. You want to hold the foregrip with your 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 support hand, and you want to hold you know the the grip you know pistol grip with your your dominant hand. So you're ready to shoot. So you want to keep a little distance because it's got a lot of recoil. You got to put body behind. It. So what she she made a mistake is that she was trying too hard to look into the scope. She relaxed on her arms and pulled them a little too close. So when she shot that, she got scoped. <laughs> Oh, that's the worst. Now, she she shot it, which your second time on the range, and you step up to a 458 wind mag, period, let alone a pistol, is you will have my respect. You could eat that scope because you took on what a lot of guys ain't trying to shoot. (laughs) The guys that have been shooting longer than me wouldn't wouldn't be quick to jump on and you jumped on it your second time at the range right that's impressive and she hit the target but that scope hit her and you at first you didn't see nothing there was nothing there then all of a sudden it just started gradually not just started gradually growing mm. <laughs> i think by the time she left you can see this knot i was like Ooh. <laughs> right <laughs> But you know, it was so funny. I was like, but that's something that she'll take with her. Like, hey, I said, I told you, you had to put your body behind it, Absolutely. but you shot. This lessons learned. We've all been there. We've all learned a lesson of some sort on the range, and it's a, it's got a lot of recoil. And you know, she did good. She didn't lose the gun. I, was, you know, it didn't fly out of her hand, so she had perfect grip. Yeah, have enough length. You know, T Rex her arms too much and. It, it it got her, gotcha. but but she took it, you know, four fifty eight wind mag, and I gave her, I gave her the the casing. Here you go. Now you can tell your your friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You shot this beast, this two inch, two and a half inch round. <laughs> you shot this, and you can say, hey, I shot a four fifty eight wind mag. You'll probably never shoot another one again. <laughs> <laughs> But at least you can say you did it, you know, and then that, that, you know, that made her day. And she's got a story to tell. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's the thing. And, and females, like, definitely, they, they ain't scared to go. Once they get behind it, I, females are definitely easier to teach. Oh, yeah. Um, they, there's a level of uh, perfectionist that they all seem to have. Um, yep. Every woman that I've trained, um, I've only had to uh do a second round of, of classes for one. Um, mm-hmm. and it was more so because she was so apprehensive about actually squeezing the trigger at the range that yep. she overcompensated and missed a lot. So we had a personal class together after that and then she she fixed the issues and she passed the class. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but they're, they're innately good at shooting. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. something that I've noticed. They're definitely pretty good at shooting. Absolutely. And very courageous because like I stated, she 
she shot, you know, she shot the 458 Win Mag. Mahalia shot the 500 Smith and Wesson. She shot the BMG, you know. Mm-hmm. And so she got, she's been exposed, you know, females have become more and more exposed to these type of firearms that they've never heard of before. Right. Right. And now they're, they're ahead of the curve. Okay. Just ahead of the eight ball, I should say. If they, you know, shot things. Well, you know, I, I shot a nine. Well, I shot a 458 win match. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so it, too, many, too many rounds topping that. You know right, what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't look like we're going to get uh, Byron back. So um, yeah. let me end with this. Um, All right. What is your perception of a black person with a gun and how can we better that for the masses? Just uh, my, my perception of a black man with a gun um, is definitely improved um, over a period of time. You know, it was very rare to see black man with a gun not labeled as a criminal of some sort. Right, not labeled as a buffoon that's doing crazy stuff in videos or, you know, rappers or you know, or just straight stick up kids. It, it's nice to see brothers that are actually doing what they, for the longest time, guys can do. You know, it's a white man's thing. Why you guys? But the only time you see black people with it is killers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So. To see a lot of, and that's what Urban Sharp, that's why I liked about Urban Sharp students, is that like-minded brothers coming together that are hardworking, law-abiding, educated, you know, and, and proficient with their web, with their tools. <clears throat> um, and that's what we, that's the thing we want to definitely change, is change that image that they have of us being criminals. You know, you see a black man with a gun, automatically the worst thoughts come to mind. And, um, we want to change that to where they see us with a gun. We're no different than anybody else. So, so what type of, what type of public persona or uh, image needs to be out there for, for that to happen, for, for that changing of perception to happen. Right. Cause I get a lot of looks where I live, because I live in the suburbs of Chicago. So Mm -hmm. in my neighborhood, uh, with the exception of the apartment complex that's across the street from my house, I'm the Mm -hmm. only black man that owns a a house in this neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. So when I'm out walking my dog, sometimes they'll see me with my I Shoot Back t-shirt on or, you know, my business t-shirt on or something like that where, you know, they know, they know, (laughs) you know what that means. Um, but I get a lot of looks, and so what 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 kind of image do we need to portray as black gun owners in in this country in our respected cities to get people instead of thinking negatively to give us also that benefit of the doubt that we're the good guy um just keep doing what you're doing. Keep wearing your business shirt. Keep wearing your I shoot back shirt. Keep wearing your gun shirt. Keep doing that. Exactly what you're doing. Because the looks are eventually going to turn into questions, right? And it's going to be questions of 
why do you have that It'd be more of curiosity like mm-hmm. hey what do you think about it and eventually you'll come across people who are curious because they also share in that passion right right and so you just got to keep doing what you're doing just keep wearing that shirt and eventually you'll see more black people starting to ask questions right well, how do i get down with that because a lot of black folks same thing. They think that all we are is portrayed as criminals. Right. And they see here this brother, here brother like you, who not only lo- enjoys the, the art, but actually has a business behind it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So that'll, that'll get them to ask questions and you better tell them about your business, you better tell them about urban sharpshoes, you better tell them about just guns in general. And you can actually have a conversation that's not about a Glock fold. That's more than just a Glock folding. Or a Saturday night special, you know what I mean? But, you a know, Glock but, forty. But I think that's, I mean? that's part of the. I think that's part of the perception that we we have to battle as well. Because if you if you go online and you see black gun owners, a lot of times it's not the most positive or constructive perception that's out there. No. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we're we're battling that. And then, and then we're also battling the the corporate imagery, you know, that the NRA puts out there and other entities that put black men in a situation where they're black, but they have no connection to the black gun community, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we need someone that's truly connected, or we need a lot of someone's that are truly connected to the black gun community across the mm-hmm. country to be that entity, to be that positive reinforcement, to be that that leader in the industry to, as far as education, as far as training, mm-hmm. um, you know, promoting businesses and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. really what started me with this podcast. Trying to trying to give a an intelligent format for people like myself and yourself to talk about guns in a positive manner that we don't really hear too often. You know, yep. uh, we don't hear black people talking about guns in a responsible manner. We don't hear black people talking about guns um, when it comes to legality and, and, and politics in mm-hmm. an intelligent manner. Um, we just don't hear these conversations on a regular basis. So that's what kind of prompted me to, to do this. And, and so, this is go ahead. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, and this is what um what we're doing now. I mean, exactly what you're doing. The podcast, the shirts, urban sharpshooters. You know, because we've been having these conversations for a while. Um, and just keep doing that. I mean, Rome wasn't built in a day. It's gonna take time. Of course, we know that. You know, we gotta we gotta battle our, de- our inner demons, and then we gotta de- um, battle the perceptions, and then of course the politics, right? So it's a lot of lot of battles, a lot of fires to put out, but we just mm-hmm. focus on one fire eventually. Eventually we'll get them all, right? But I'm eventually just doing yeah. what we keep doing. Because we're kind of all battling on all fronts. You know, we we're we're talking to people. And like I said, I taught everybody, you know, I people ask all the time, you know, about that. And the funny thing is the other side is more intrigued about what we're doing than our side, right? Mm-hmm. So I think I see in my opinion, in my case, the biggest side is fighting us is trying to get us convinced that, hey, it's not just shoot to kill. It's not just killers and hundred dollar billers. It's not just 
aggression when you see firearms. It's more to it than just squeezing the trigger. Right. You know, and that's the um thing that we can do. Just continue doing what we're doing. You know, that's probably not the best solution, but it's better than not doing anything. Of course. You know? and, and like I said, you're going to draw. You're going to draw just on your podcast alone, just on doing this and you get it out there, share your content, like what you're doing with this podcast, share with your buddies, not, not just the people, and you know, share with the buddies who perceive, have that perception and they hear, you know, brothers talking about firearms and training and calibers and all we're talking now. And they'll be like, hmm, they'll be intrigued because you know how we are. I mean, you know, you get a couple people out there. You know, people start coming through because that's what we started to see. You know, they people are becoming more. We're a growing market, so it's just for us to control that market, right? You know, right. so they're not, so we're not, you know, getting duped um, <clears throat> and getting, you know, just used as a market versus actually teaching us legit um, to be legit with our firearms. So well, yeah, you know, what you, and that, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to bring light to all of us. You know. Um, from from the, the the small business, you know, firearm educator that can help you out with your CCL or or a gun enthusiast who could tell you everything about everything to, mm-hmm. you know, to the guy, to the guys that make the guns, you know, do custom builds and the whole nine trying to bring light to all of us um, so that when when we think about firearms we actually have resources to go through if we want a certain thing if we want training we can go here if we want education we can go here if we want knowledge we can go here if we want you know uh, a custom-made whatever we can go here you know Mm -hmm. you know that's the kind of things that i think that we need when we talk about the lack of unity that we have you know across the board and anything that I think that is out there. There's so many, you know, uh, contact points that you can have in order to get things done. I think once we're all in that under that same umbrella, it'll be easier to to bring more and more people under that umbrella. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, again, man, I appreciate you. I, I, I feel bad that we lost the other two, but I have to get back with them individually another time. Well, for sure. Um, so thank you again for doing the podcast, man. Um, it will be published uh, hopefully tomorrow. Okay. Um, so people will be able to listen in. Um, and I'm, I'm still working on trying to do the live aspect of it. That's going to be a little more complicated. Yeah. Um, but uh, for now, this is what we're doing. So, again, man, I appreciate your time. Uh, no problem, man. All right. And we'll uh, hopefully do this again another time. Yes, sir. All right, bro. Have a good night. Yeah, you do the same, man. Thank you. Yep. Bye. Bye.